Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and we are on the eve of UCLA football season. I am joined by Tracy. Tracy. Your name is Tracy Pearson, correct? Last I checked, yes. Okay, I just had to verify that. You know, we I like to do that. Ourselves, Dave. I like to do that at the beginning of shows just to make sure I know the name of the person I'm talking to. I gotcha. Tracy, it is. Uh, you Tracy would think Pearson. you would be the most familiar with me among everyone you do podcasts with. You I, would think so. Aren't I your home? Aren't I your buddy? Your friend? Your you would think so. Yeah. However, you cannot contend with my brain and its inability to retain information, and I've now forgotten your name. It's, my uh, mom, when I was growing up, she used to do that name thing. Mm-hmm. She'd call me my dad, my brother, and my dog before she'd get to me. You know what that is, though? It's actually a very, very sweet thing. It's all the things that are in a certain category for you, you just you, you misname them constantly. It's why you're constantly calling your kids the wrong names. But it's like, also I was ranked fifth. Or... <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you take it that way, but it's just, oh, the, these are the things I love. They, they all go together. That's so nice. It is. It, it's really my sweet. Wife, my wife oh, tends, she does that too, not on the same level, but it's always my son's name that comes out first. Yeah. And I think it's more, I think it's, I, I, like, I like your take on it. That's really nice and sweet. But I, I think it's also the tone that you're speaking with, uh, is in your brain as being familiar with this person that you're talking to. Right. And then it and then that name comes out that you're most familiar of talking to that with that tone. Yeah. No, it, it's it's a, it's a really fun and uh, quirky thing that humans do. We uh, we misname yeah. constantly. Yeah, my dog though. She used to call me my it's dog. It's affection. It's affection. That's all it is. And it would go Carl Paul Frisky Tracy. Like there that. you go. So yeah, I was well, Carl Paul Frisky Tracy. That's like one of those. Well, that's actually a good. Cultural yes, my dog is named Frisky. No, I was but that's like one of those. I named him. Okay, that's like one of those name. Swedish royalty names. You know, that's me. I'm Swedish yeah, royalty. There you go. We we record a, a UCLA sports podcast here um, at the broadcast. But do we have to? Yeah, uh, it's actually the most critical time to do so because oh, yeah. uh, there's a there's a major sports season uh, kicking off tomorrow for UCLA. This is always so fun. I it mean, is. Just no matter what happens with the football season, just to envision those guys running out in that on that Rose Bowl field and those colors, it's just it's just fun. It's fun. It's so much fun. It's so much yeah. fun every year, and this year in particular, um, <laughs> against the contrast of you know ten thousand just sweating fans out wow. in the uh, out in the Arroyo Seco. Could uh, it be worse? timing for it to be 105 degrees my out there when good you're... god it i i i am i am i am feeling for everyone who's going to be sitting in those seats 11 30 a.m kick labor day saturday horrible opponent sorry bowling green and it's going to be just nuclear hot i have a, i have some questions because you you come off like you know these things i don't i don't think you do but you fake it so well uh-huh. that I, yeah, yeah. I believe you I've, i'm i'm glad you finally cracked the code on me yeah, yeah. when when you got the pac-12 network right uh-huh. they've got all these other slots oh, why is you still at 11 30 uh, what they might have anticipated it would be hot at the rose bowl but like the washington state game the usc rice game i mean couldn't you have scheduled UCLA Bowling Green for the seven thirty start. So I, I I do think it's very stupid. I don't know why. The only thing I can figure is that they are trying to get infinitesimally more fans watching from Bowling Green, and it's in a different time zone. Uh, but even then, right. why not stick this as the five o'clock game and move Stanford, whoever the hell they're playing, Colgate to eleven thirty. Um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you've got there's inventory all throughout the day. I mean, there's Washington State, Idaho. There's um, Stanford, Colgate. Like there's stuff all throughout the day. There's there's a three p.m. Three p.m. would be a lot better than eleven thirty because at three p.m. at least there's shade. Uh, they literally do not take into consideration the heat in in the Rose Bowl. Nobody on, thinks about nobody thinks about it enough who hasn't actually attended a UCLA September game. But the and people were like joking on Twitter about oh LA fans are soft. No, dude. Like the Arroyo is even different from what Pasadena proper looks like. So Pasadena's yeah. set for one oh four. 
That means like in the actual stadium, especially on the field, on it's going to be like one fifteen. It's going to yeah. be nuts. And and it's not even a ma- it's just it's a matter of the fans like potentially health risks too. I, I mean this this is all in the Pac-12 network. It's a really good reason why I think usually should leave this conference. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's not good. Um but look, let's 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 put the heat aside for a second. Um it's UCLA football season. It's uh, as we've talked about at length. Um However you feel about the Chip Kelly era as a whole, this year shapes up to be a good one. Um, they're, they've got an easy schedule. They have returning experience at a lot of spots. They've got, I mean, I'm, I'm talking myself more and more into it, um, but they've got some intriguing aspects of that defense. Like, there is a lot to be excited about, and tomorrow is the first time we get to see it. And as I was writing that preview, which you all should read, at length don't just don't 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 do what you're gonna do don't scroll down don't scroll down to just the score prediction and just read that part no no no. you know they all do that yeah and the sickos uh read the whole thing um but one thing that kind of stood out is it's actually sets up perfectly for us to get an answer on one of the major questions coming into the year which is will ucla be able to generate a base pass rush because bowling green was really bad at preventing sacks last year. So if they don't get like 10 sacks. If, well, if they don't get at least five, like UCLA should be aiming for five in this game. Um, that should be like the goal number. And getting there um, would, I think, assuage a lot of concerns and maybe up a lot of people's estimations of what this defense could be. One of my favorite uh, words, by the way. Keep going. Yeah, hey, there you go. Um, but there's, a, there's, there's, there's some actual... Because here's the thing. Bowling Green's bad. They're probably going to be bad again this year. Even if they're good for the MAC, like they're probably going to be like 7-5 and five or something. They're going to be a pretty bad team. Um, their offense won't be good. Their defense might be fine. Um, UCLA, if they're anything like what we think they should be this year, shouldn't have trouble with them. If they do, that's a major concern. But let's just put the possibility that they're going to struggle to beat this team aside there's interesting data to be found in this game, even beyond what the final score is going to be. Like it's going to tell us a lot about this defense if they struggle uh, to rush the passer. They shouldn't struggle to stop this offense, but if they struggle to rush the passer, that would be a major worrying sign for this season. Uh, yeah, I wrote down a couple of notes to, because what you just said is really interesting. First off, if you don't read in detail. Dave's previews because I'll admit there's sometimes I haven't for teams I don't know mm-hmm. it enhances your viewing experience so much I can't tell you you know the other players you know the teams well you there's so much more nuance of knowing what happens what's happening here this dynamic you owe it to yourself as a bro to read the preview and then also you can go to a bar and astound your friends with your knowledge of Bowling Green yeah, which, you which will know that their starting running back, who was supposed to be available for this season, decided he wasn't even going to attend school this year. Oh, I don't know. I haven't read your preview. <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, um, there's. Uh, I, I don't want to belabor Bowling Green too much because it's, um, again, not belabor very good. The uh, the defense is also, I think. Uh, equipped to test the thing we are concerned about with the offense, which is the offensive tackle situation, which I wouldn't even describe as a major concern of mine. I'm pretty convinced Chip Kelly can craft an offense out of like you, me, and and nine guys. Um, but we're pretty talented, though. Yeah. If there's if there's an unknown with this offense this year, um, it's how are Raquan O'Neal and Garrett DiGiorgio going to perform, particularly Garrett DiGiorgio, Bowling Green. Wasn't a great defense, but what they did have was a pass rush. They've got one guy, uh, Carl Brooks, who's a borderline NFL guy, and they've got a scheme that is disruptive. They like to get after the quarterback. They like to blitz their linebackers. Um, So there's enough there that you could get a real test of your offensive tackles. If they struggle mightily to keep Dorian Thompson-Robinson upright in this game, that's another data point. 
that's another like okay we we were right to have concerns about the offensive tackle. I hope you guys are writing all this down because this is brilliant Dave stuff. Yeah. Okay. So it's all about this game is all about the respective pass rushes. That's what we're going to be looking at. Can UCLA stop Bowling Green's pass rush and conversely, can UCLA really get after um Bowling Green's terrible quarterback Matt McDonald? This is and uh, uh taking kind of uh the bigger uh big picture here this is the time of year where you've heard so much about your own team this is just not ucla fans and fans of other schools are even more indulgent in in this area you've heard so much about and and you and i both do this and i'm hearing it in your voice right now this is you do this you start believing these players are are really good because we've seen them enough heard enough about them what happens during the season, most of the time, you come back down to earth and you realize the players and the team were not as good. There are some weaknesses. But what you're hoping for, that this is why this is such a great time. Because every once in a while, I, I you know, anecdotally, I don't even know how many times this happens. Not too often. A team lives up to those that assessment that you have of them right before the beginning of the season. The players sometimes go beyond even your expectations. Some guys who just thought they'd be just a solid starter become all league players. You're trying to catch that lightning in the bottle and that's the possibility of that happening is what we're all kind of hoping for at this time of, of the season. And this year for UCLA's team, we know less about these players than we did last year. We knew, I think last year they only had to replace like a couple of starters and now they're replacing quite a few starters um, with guys who might be more talented than the guys last year, but they're unknown. They're an unknown quantity. So that even elevates the whole element of this team and these players could be better than you even think. Um, as as a guy who is uh, more logical based on trying to base my decisions making on facts and and precedent, I I tend to go with the odds. And most of the time the odds are the team's not as good as you thought they were the day before they started the season. So I'm trying to get over that because I have the element to say, I don't know this team this well because there's so many unproven guys. Will Jake Bobo get 70 receptions? Will Darius Muasawa 110 tackles last year for Hawaii? Will he, even, will he get to 100 tackles? If he does, those are some really phenomenal uh, stats to put up, which would dramatically impact this team. Will, will the Murphys get 12 sacks between the two of them? That's even, that's even modest for the season. Mm -hmm. There's so much here. Will, I mean, someone like Devin Kirkwood has NFL talent. Will he take a true freshman season and now become like an all-league player as a true sophomore? Those are the things. Let's, let's uh, just for the bros, just for today, just, for, just to get them going. Okay, everyone yeah, else, stop listening. Let's just the take bros. let's take Only a bros let's listen. take a sip of the hopium. Let's let's smoke up some hopium for just a second, because when you were listing off all those questions, none of them are outlandish in in uh, in single form. It's yes. you combine it all together. Okay, maybe not all that's going to happen, but if it did, and if all of these things do turn out to be there, you know. Let's just call it their 85% possibility. Um, that's going to be a damn good team. Um, all that stuff needs to be checked off, but it has, there's that potential this year to be really good. Um, and I think people need to keep that in mind because it's going to be hard to tell in a lot of different ways. Even if the first three games go really, really, really well, you're still going to have that like nagging in the back of your mind. Well, these aren't real opponents. These are, yeah. you know, this is all patsies. Um, there is, there is some real possibility for this team. It's not a deep team. I don't think there's a whole lot of depth behind the starting group. So you need health. 
health. I think health is probably the biggest thing that needs to be maintained this year. But if you pick off all those different things Tracy was listing off there, it's not outlandish to expect Jake Boba to be really good. Maybe not 74 catches, but maybe 60. Um, it's not outlandish to expect Darius Musau to be really good. Maybe not 110 tackles, but maybe probably 90. Um, like these things are all eminently possible. Um, and yeah, we don't know for sure, but we've been doing this a while. Uh, we have a pretty good idea when we're watching practice, you know, who actually looks good because we're not just comparing it against the offense right then. We're comparing Darius Musau against what we remember of Eric Kendricks, what we remember of Jayon Brown, what we remember of these guys. And he's not those guys, but he's pretty good. We're comparing the Murphy twins not against, you know, how they're looking against Garrett DiGiorgio. It's, well, how do we remember Anthony Barr looking? How do we remember Takaris McKinley looking? How do we remember Bruce Davis and Justin Hickman looking? And maybe not quite at that level for either of them, but not too far off. They look pretty disruptive. They look pretty good. Um, so I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. Um, and the 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 thing that'll tie all of that together, especially all this defensive stuff we're listing, is what's that scheme going to do for them? What's it going to, and in the worst case scenario, what's it going to prevent them from doing? Um, but in the best case scenario, how is it going to add to uh, their individual ability? You know, is, is McGovern going to be able to make the right adjustments? Is he going to be able to slide guys in certain areas to make them even more disruptive? Or is he going to run a really conservative scheme that actually serves to inhibit these guys' abilities? Um, and that's the thing. That's the true thing that I have no idea about. Yeah, no, that's another thing. That's yeah. the biggest thing. Not yeah. only all the players, but like I've been emphasizing and wrote that article, it's about the defensive scheme. I, I, and we're not even looking for a, a super elite scheme where people are in awe of it. Just something where there aren't glaring deficiencies. Yeah. And, yeah. and by the way, and we're going to talk about this also, $900,000 a year. Hell yeah, baby. Good money if you can get it. I'm just going to drop that right there, and then we'll come back to it. Um, just take the defensive line. Back in the day, UCLA, if they had one 300-pounder on the defensive line, they, they used to have like a 300-pounder, and then a guy, uh, you know, the, the three technique would be 280. Do you remember the great Chase Moline? 255. <laughs> um, right now... Martin, uh, uh, let's just put it this way. Jay Toia is three twenty-five, and that's probably low. That's, that's yeah. They're not. They're not. They're they're not counting. They're, they were. Uh, he was only putting one foot on the scale. Gary Smith. <laughs> yeah, Gary Smith's a load. Okay, those two guys are huge and and real nose tackle types. Then at the other tackle, that's usually two sixty. <laughs> Martin Andrus is three hundred five and quick. Yeah. And and then back, you know, Gary Smith, you got Jacob Sykes, who looked really good from what we saw him oh, running around. He's okay. backing up Mark Anders. This has, I mean, is this going to be better than last year of Otita Abanya and uh, Day, Daytona Jackson on the interior? And Jay Toia as a freshman? Yeah, and, and that that's the question because it's also a different, you know, they're doing something different up front. So... Is it even apples to apples? What Otito was being asked to do last year might be different from even what the nose is being asked to do this year. Um, and so it's just, it's it's going to be difficult to assess until we see actual games. But I do want a side note for just a second. Okay. That too deep that was released by UCLA. <laughs> okay. We'll never see it updated throughout the year. So first, like... we'll never see it updated. Second, um, at least for the defensive front seven, my feeling is that it is entirely hogwash. Um, so you've got first he's listing outside linebackers. They are not outside linebackers. How many linebackers are on the team, Dave? It's, it's, it, <laughs> if, if you take that at face value, it is a two, five, four it's defense two, this year. Five, um, I, we watched all of spring ball. If we saw the defensive ends drop into coverage one time, it, I missed it. Um, I think the, he's just calling them linebackers, just trying to give main, them a little NFL, uh, boost. So sure. they're, they're labeled linebackers as from an NFL standpoint. Sure, whatever. But for the fans, those are defensive ends. 
We're these, calling the, them edges now. That's whatever. what we're going to call them. That, that was the compromise. Um, I'm going to go with what brung me. They're defensive ends. I like edge. Okay, um, he has the Murphy twins at one spot and he has Bo Calvert at the other spot. And wait, wait, I the will, Murphy I, twins, we generally have thought Grayson Murphy has had a little bit of an edge and been a little. Gabriel Murphy was listed over him and I think it's only in alphabetical order. Yes. Here's what I will say. I will buy a hat and I will eat it if the Murphy twins each individually do not have more snaps than Bo Calvert this year. Wow, I, I, that's a hell of a bet because they love themselves some Bo Calvert. They do, and I, and I this like is, Bo Calvert. He's such a nice guy. Uh-huh. His interviews are exceptional. Uh huh. Uh huh. Just say uh, you like look, him. Look, I'm like not. I, I'm not pushing for Carl Jones because I, I think I, I've I've lost that battle so many times. I'm not willing to do it again. But if if the Murphy twins aren't, I'm going to I'm I'm going to buy a hat and eat it. Is what I'm saying. Um, if wait, if Bo Calvert gets more snaps than combined Murphys, no, I, no, no. Each individually, one, each individually, each individually will have more snaps than Bo Calvert this year. Did you also notice that Bo Calvert was listed over Carl Jones? Yes, there was yes, no yes, yes, or, yes, yes. and uh-huh. I in our depth chart, I just couldn't do it. I put an yeah, or. Don't yeah. yeah yeah don't do that to me. And then the other one that I that that um, the reason I brought this up is he has Martin Andrews and Jay Toya listed as starting at the two defensive tackle positions. This one I don't feel nearly as strongly about. They may decide to do this. However, I would be surprised if they use those two guys because Andrews is good. I don't think he's a three-tech. I think Jacob Sykes is and has proven it at the uh, at the college level. Um, so I think it would be more likely that Andrews and Toya are splitting snaps at the nose with Sykes starting at three tech. Yeah, but. I think I think that's probably what they'll do. But they I mean they get in against a really, you know, downhill running attack. It, it, that's when we see Toia and probably Martin Andrews playing alongside each other. Right. Yeah. But anyway, um Or Gary Smith and Joe Toy. People are just asking a lot of questions based on that two deep and the two deep seems um to have been written with other aims in mind than I mean, the, the biggest point describing here is their depth. Last year, they dropped that too deep at the beginning of the season. There were a lot of personnel changes, injuries. They never changed it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The and they never will. They never will change this. That's um, just Chip Kelly saying, oh, you need something. Yep. And here you go. And not even a, a, a depth chart, but just a two deep. Yeah, exactly. So, But it's fun. It's fun. I, it gives us something to talk about. That's for sure. I mean, how about Colson? Uh, let's talk about this too. Colson Yankoff is now at running back, and we've seen him take snaps at at, at running back in practice in our in our yeah no you know, he has so, so yeah yeah he has truly moved to running back yeah but the tight ends the two freshman tight ends <laughs> Carson Ryan and Jack Peterson are now numbered as running backs still working with the tight ends Chip uh, when Chip Kelly said yes we're experimenting with them at running back. I think I saw one of them take a pitch or something at one type. Maybe they'll. Maybe there's a new wrinkle of an H back. Maybe they're system. going full option. Maybe and these guys are going to be like the up backs. Um, and just for clarification, too, they're going to be wing backs. Tracy. They can be any number. It doesn't matter. That doesn't mean they have to be a running back or a wide receiver with a number that's in the twenties. The only thing that's required in college football is that if you're on offensive linemen, you're one of those five offensive linemen, you have to be on any snap, you have to have the number between 50 and 79, I think. So that's the only requirement. And you obviously can't have two guys with the same numbered jersey on the field at the same time. Yeah. Um, but the other, the other thing also, and I think while some of this is Let's talk about the linebackers from that from that little too deep. First off, John John Vaughn's at the starting will. And have we noticed too that Chip says will a lot now, the will linebacker? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. I, I noticed you pointedly <laughs> asked him in reference to the will. Yeah, uh, why would I do that? You yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. So okay, okay. But adding to the this this too deep is nonsense. If they're running three true linebackers at any point beyond, like, I don't know, 15 snaps a game, I'll be shocked. 
Like that's that, that's probably not going to happen either. Based on the spring, how many how many times did you see three linebackers on the field after say the first week of practice? Um, you'd see it in the first uh, like. 10, 15 minutes, and then it was out. Then it was yeah. just a four-two-five. Pure nickel. Um, so that's probably not going to be real. Um, and the question is really, which position is going to be on the field with Muasau Moore? The one that Medrano is starting at or the one that John John Vons is starting at? Very true. Yeah. Uh, the way, if I remember from spring before Kane Medrano, he, he played more like a will. Yeah. At times, um, we listed him at Sam because he's more of a Sam than John John Vons is. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be really interesting. Here's the other question, and you guys can curse me for saying this. Who plays the mic if Darius Musawa just needs a, bre- you know, a breather in 110-degree weather? Obviously, the- Carson Schwesinger. <laughs> Do you think? No. Do you think? No. Kane Medrano? No, I, I, he played I, there last year. I, I think John John was getting some work there. Um, judging by what Muasau was saying, um, I think there's a variety of guys that they would try there. Um, I don't think there's another. Uh, I mean, Jeremiah Trojan is probably, I don't know, kind of the understudy there, but I don't know if he's ready. Beat out by a walk on, who's now a not a walk-on in Carson Swessinger, who I love his name. It's a great name. It's a great name. Um, don't Not love Trojan's name. name so much. Yeah. Um, no. What are you going to do, though? Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, Trojan was also coming back from a spring injury, so who knows. Um, I think there's other options. I think they would try other guys first before they would drop down to walk-on. Or former walk-on, sorry. He's not a walk-on, yeah. Um, and then Azizi Hearn in spring, we're now looking at the secondary, was – uh, evolved into the number one nickel. So when they're in that four two five, he moves in the nickel. And this is this is, is so then you plug in another cornerback, and that's either John Humphrey or Jalen Davies. John Humphrey did a lot of time from what we could see a little bit in the doghouse uh in fall camp. He was he was running with the fours there for a while. Uh after they released that too deep. He was now going through the drills as the number two, as a second string cornerback. But who plugs in there as that cornerback? And I got to tell you, if I'm an opposing offensive coach, and I and I I'm uh, see them going to that nickel, I'm finding where John Humphrey or Jalen Davies is on the field and targeting that receiver. Absolutely. And the thing is, I think there's going to be, I, I, I don't think it's going to be as if Devin Kirkwood is going to be a lockdown guy this year either. I think he's going to be pretty good. Um, you know, he certainly flashes a lot of ability, but cornerback, unless you're a true freak, you really need the reps. Like you need to see what receivers are doing. You need to really kind of just, you need to have the trial by fire. Um, and this is going to be the fire for Humphrey, but also Kirkwood. I mean, Kirkwood played a lot last year, but he was not, you know, a full-time starter. Um, And he's going to be getting the assignment of covering a lot of really, really good receivers this year. Um, See, that's the thing. You just just nailed it. I mean, the starting cornerbacks are going to be a guy from last year who's immensely talented, but he never started. He got backup minutes. And then Azizi Hearn, we saw him in spring, big guy, strong good at pressing at the line but then kind of didn't have the quickness to stay with his guy down downfield and then john humphrey and jalen davies jalen davies really didn't even a sniff at oregon last year uh, i think he played in a couple of games didn't didn't necessarily look good and john humphrey who toward the end of the season played in a couple of games for ucla it I, Going back to what I said on the Friday before the first game, you for this to be good, you have to imagine that these guys are taking a big leap. Devin Kirkwood is near all Pac-12, and Jalen Davis or John Humphrey are solid cornerbacks. Yeah. I think, right? Yeah, that's it's it's a big key. I mean, this is where my uh, my dreams of a pass rush really need to take hold because 
Yeah. You can make a secondary look a lot better than it is if you're getting after the quarterback. Um, and you can convince me more about UCLA's pass rush, I think, than you can convince me about UCLA's cornerbacks. Absolutely. So for one, Let's go with that. And I agree with you um, on the cornerback situation. It's probably the more I think about the season, probably one of my big, probably my biggest defensive concern actually is the secondary generally, but especially the experience at corner. Um, it's just, it's the one thing where it's so inextricably linked to uh, the pass rush that you can you can reasonably hope that the pass rush will be good enough that there won't be as much pressure on Kirkwood, Humphrey, and and uh, Hearn to be all world. Um, you know, quarterbacks hopefully won't have as much time as they've had, and UCLA won't have to devote six or seven bodies to the pass rush at all times to get um, actual pressure on the quarterback. This is how this is how different this can be what if ucla had just kept jay shaw and alec anderson those two players it would have been a game changer i mean game changer 100 percent. i i'd be i swear i'd be saying right now uh, they're competing for the rose bowl Uh, i mean seriously serious contenders yeah no doubt yeah but instead it's it's you know it's cornerbacks who've been untested because I wouldn't feel weird about Devin Kirkwood in a second or third cornerback role this year. Um, yeah. I wouldn't feel weird about um, Raekwon O'Neal and Alec Anderson. It's the addition and Garrett DiGiorgio is the first tackle off the bench. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the difference with Garrett DiGiorgio. Okay, you're being asked to play a role that you've never played before. Like you've you've played two games in your career. Now you're going to be a full time starter. And it's asking John Humphrey, who's basically never played before, hey, you're going to be, you know, a full-time, more or less a full-time starter in that third corner role. Yeah. Stuff. It's a lot to ask. Crazy, right? How yeah. two guys can change <laughs> your whole perspective. I'll, I'll tell you, though, the media is getting on board. Uh, listening, halftime of the ASU game, uh, our our guy at the Pac-12 Network, who's, God, I'm forgetting his name. Yogi Roth? Oh, my God, Yogi. He loves himself some Bruins, doesn't he? He loves, here's the thing about Yogi. He loves every team, and he loves I them a lot. I think he was especially, I think he even put in a go Bruins there at the end. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was it was a little over the top saying, like, this would, this is his team this he's, year. He's the football Bill Walton without um, the, like, general sense of humor. Um, it's... It's endearing. Uh, it's endearing in some ways. I think uh, Yogi, if you listen to him, his in-game commentary, I think he, I think he's very insightful, very much. But I think, like any other commentator employed by the Pac-12 Network, oh, he's, he's, gonna, state, he's state television. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna hype it up. I get yeah. it. But uh, his observations as a commentator are pretty are pretty good. But dang, <clears throat> my point being. I, I, I don't think a lot of the people who are hyping UCLA are getting like the what, the point we just made about Jay Shaw and Alec Anderson. Yeah, they're uh, they're thinking those guys are there. That this is Chip Kelly's fifth year. He's got he's got guys now. He's got a bunch. It's not necessarily true. There's some weakness and and thinness in this depth chart that shouldn't be there in the fifth year. So, but then again, day before the season starts, we're all optimistic. We're all thinking this is the season where a couple of these guys go beyond expectation. Like, name some guys that really stepped up in their senior year that were just way beyond what you would have thought. Oh, put me on the spot, why don't you? I know I am. I completely am. Senior year... Who stepped up in a big way? How about wait? Our our our. Uh, uh, how about Jay Shaw last year? Jeez. Jay Shaw, uh, Hicks, the uh, the defensive end. He was six two and Hickman. Hickman, sorry, Jacob Justin Hickman. Hickman. Justin Hickman. I mean Bruce pounds. Davis's last two years. Um, yeah, there uh, are guys. This happens. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a bunch of dudes. Um, just can't think of any of them because my brain is bad. You know what we're talking about. Our you know what we're saying. You get it. But there are guys that, I mean, well, Mo Osling, 
you know, really step in and she, be Stephen one of the best Blaylock. players. Maybe Stefan Blaylock, Blaylock, after, you know, essentially four years of experience, he's ready to make that leap up into a, a top-tier um, uh, Pac-12 defensive back. I mean, he hasn't been there yet, but he's a, you know, he's a good kid who's worked really hard. The Maybe Ball brothers, there. they didn't look like much their first couple. Then last, at the end, holy crap, right? Yeah. Can't so, be an experience. And it doesn't take it doesn't take that much. Let's say we have six or seven guys that are kind of these hinge guys. All you need are like three of them. Devin Kirkwood, uh, Garrett DiGiorgio, right? Uh, and uh, just those two guys. I'm 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 replacing Jay Shaw and Alec Anderson. Those two guys play at that level of what we would have expected from Jay Shaw and Alec Anderson. There you go. Yeah, agreed. So it'll be a fun start to the season, Tracy. We'll see uh, We'll see how it shakes out. Okay, we are gonna see. I love it when you go on like all the news stations and they bring in all of these talking heads and they're supposed to be, and then they say, well, we'll see. We will, won't we? Yeah, I know we're going to see. We're looking for insight for you. What are we going we to We just see? gave them 36 minutes, and I'm figuring out how to transition to basketball, all right? <laughs> well, you just pulled the curtain back completely. I always do. I always do. <laughs> uh, oh. I just want to talk about salaries first before we go to... Oh, we do have to talk about salaries. 900 uh, grand? <laughs> hey, look. Look. They got to keep... I mean, nothing... They got to keep that ever. pool moving upward, all right? We're heading into Big Ten country... That pool needs to be well north of $10 million. Here's the other Keep thing, too. And I talked to Mr. Bolch, who he is he is dogged to get these. He puts in for a request for these salaries, I don't know, like in March. And we, what, we're right at the beginning of September. It takes them that long. They're dragging their feet to give these up. And, you know, Ben's just pounding them trying to get these things. Uh, ben looked at the contracts really analyze them. I talked to Ben about him. And he came away and he wrote it in a story that each one of the assistants has a two-year contract. So if for whatever reason Chip Kelly was fired after this season, UCLA has to pay all the assistants for another year. At least that I haven't looked personally. I'm trusting Ben because he's good at this stuff who looked at them with his fine tooth comb. comb so it's another, basically, it's another $4.5 million of buyout. Yes. Cool. Unless there's something else in those contracts of where you don't have to pay the talent fee or something, I don't know. But yeah, that's something to note. Um, but yeah, well, 900000 save. So if they did fire Chip Kelly, though. Yeah. They would save money because they'd be promoting uh, Ken Norton Jr. and Jerry Neuheisel and Deshaun Foster, most likely, well, to that's the other new thing. positions. And well, staff. then let's say you hire a new coach. He might retain those three guys, so that's not you're not you're getting them. There you go. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Nine hundred grand for uh, Mr. McGovern. I, 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 wow. I, at least with Azanaro. He didn't perform very well, but they were paying him six fifty and then seven hundred, which, in the scheme of defensive coordinators, is on the low end. Nine nine hundred thousand is a good chunk. I mean, that's right in the middle of maybe a little bit higher. I'd say for Power Five defensive coordinators, like right at about that million dollars. Uh huh. So yeah, I mean that should raise all expectation. I think for this. And and justifiably, it should raise all UCLA fans' expectation for the defensive scheme because you just got essentially a million-dollar defensive coordinator. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was the inside linebackers coach for the Chicago Bears last year, Tracy. You had to pay wow. a premium. I mean, you want here on first day before— You're talking about a guy who was a defensive assistant generic for Nebraska in 2020. My, my day-before-season optimism, you got to think— he knows his football. He's been around. Chip recognizes him as a as this football. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to say genius, but or that he's really on the other side of it. The negative thoughts would be, "Wow, he's doing a solid to a friend, isn't he?" Yeah, 
You know, I mean, it's just nobody wanted to unleash him after those furious Boston College defenses uh, through 2012. The nobody question else, is, nobody else wanted to unleash that on the world. What could you have gotten him for? I mean, they got him for 900 grand, baby. <laughs> on the other hand, do you know Carl Durrell when he first started at UCLA was making like 600 grand, <laughs> and his assistants were like making 25 dollars an hour. Um, <laughs> Uh, but paying on the other hand, paying these guys an hourly, <laughs> <laughs> they'd still go home and not recruit. Um, no, but on your uh, repeated point, you want to up the salaries of these guys so that it, it works with the UC Regents. When the next DC, you pay them a million dollars, it's not that much of an increase, right? Exactly. So we will see, but uh, we know, will see quite a bit of money. Hey, look, I'm trying to transition out again. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm Speaking kidding. of quite a bit of money, UCLA football, basketball recruiting, does that work? No? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, I think that works. That connects. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of stuff going on with UCLA basketball, a lot of stuff that's leaving us, I would say, uh, generally more optimistic about uh, not just the 2023 class and what what will be needed in that class, but the 2022 basketball season. Um so uh, I'll start with the high school stuff, and then you're going to get into the 2022 stuff. But um, uh, four-star uh, East Coaster uh, wing, Brandon Williams. Um, East Coaster. Yeah, you know, general East Coast. What's his school? That's East Coast. When you're in Inland Empire, you're on the East Coast? Brandon Williams. Oh, sorry. We Brandon. haven't talked about Devin Williams. Have we already we? talked about Devin Williams last week. Oh, we did? Didn't we? Okay, we did. Didn't we? We did. There's too many Williamses. I don't know. He committed. It was great. He committed. Uh, Brandon we Williams. We talked about it last week. Yeah, we did. Uh, Brandon Williams, uh, the other Williams, um, one of the many Williams, one of the traveling Williamses, uh, he That's a good name. has said uh, to our Deshaun London, I believe, uh, earlier this week, that he is planning on announcing his commitment uh, either at the end of this week, which... This is the end of this week. So or like, tomorrow. Saturday is the end. Saturday. Or Sunday is technically. I mean, it, it depends on how you're assessing things. Sunday can be the end of the week. can be the first day of the week. Really? I've always... I'm Sunday is the first day of the week. You're too tied to the calendar. Um, you're too okay. tied to like looking at the visual of the it grid. It is part of the week end. Yeah, yeah but like look at... Yeah. The, I mean, exactly. It's the end yeah. of the week. It's the end of the week. It's not the beginning yeah. of the week. Thinking about it as the beginning of the week is far too stressful for a Sunday. Sunday's already comes comes with those Sunday scaries. You don't need to also think of it as the beginning of the week. Anyway. Got it. Brandon Williams uh, is planning on committing sometime between today and early next week. Um, UCLA looking good. Uh, I'd say from what I've heard... It's probably he's going to make his announcement on Monday, most likely, coming from sources close to him. It is right now, you know, I've got people who are still kind of, oh, it's 50-50, but our 24-7 sports uh, hoops recruiting director, Mr. Bossy, was saying he's feeling good about UCLA. Eric's pretty, this is where Eric does really well. Yeah, Eric... Generally, when he has a feeling, it's not just a feeling. He's talking to different people who are telling him. Um, and if he doesn't flat out know, he's getting a really, really strong indication. So he's not guessing on gut feel. Let's just say that. I might be just exposing Eric right now. But so I, he, you can trust him on, his, on when he said he's feeling good about UCLA. Uh, so that would be the sec second Williams commitment for 2023. The second uh, traveling Williams brother. That's that's what they should call them. They uh, they potentially could get one more um, in Cody Williams. But we haven't talked about. We did talk about UCLA potentially getting one more international player for 2022. And then I kind of dropped a little bit of a bomb this week that it could be two international players, and they could find out. UCLA could find out as early as next week. Um, that changes. That changes everything. It changes everything. And this is where, like, everything we belabored last week, it's even more uh, true now. Anything you you get now for 2022 changes what you need in 2023. And it yes. suddenly makes 2023, okay, well, if they've gotten Devin Williams, 
and they're, you know, looking pretty good, we'll say, for Brandon Williams. You might only need two or three more guys. Um, yeah, uh, they would. Uh, I, you know, it's funny because I've said one of them is a four man. And the other one, I haven't said what he is, and uh, I I won't uh, as a as a position. Um, but let's just say they got those two guys. That's that would get them to eight, returning. Then Brand, uh, then sorry, Devin Williams, uh, nine. Is that right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, that's nine. Um, so they'd only really have. Four left. If they get the commitment from Brandon Williams, that's three left. That's uh, when you have three right now, let's say, and let's just go out on a limb. I didn't think it's a limb that Andre Stoyakovic commits. Now you're down to two. Three. And I would only Sorry. take one and save the last for a transfer, yeah. uh, hedge, hedging against uh, Dylan Andrews. You'd have, yeah, you'd have two. So between transfers, obviously UCLA is doing well recruiting international players. Between transfers, international players, and any other 2020, you are looking, you are sitting pretty here in UCLA recruiting, which is a huge sea change from just a week and a half ago. Well, and this is one area where, like, my initial instinct on all UCLA recruiting is you're you're a dumb shit if you're going outside of Southern California or the West generally to recruit. But I'll I'll say this: I think the international thing is not something I really, um, you know, kind of tossed around in my brain too much. But there is a reality to UCLA's cachet in and not the basketball brand, but the UCLA General. brand internationally. That does rival. It's the way to actually get a little bit of that. You know how that that Stanford effect in football and basketball recruiting, where yeah. guys just oh, it's Stanford. I think that's the way UCLA is kind of on the international scene because the way Abramo Zonka talked about UCLA, it was like he was talking about Cambridge. It was like he was talking about Harvard. Like it was just oh, it's Oxford. I mean, of course, it's UCLA. Um, and I think it's because UCLA has that sort of brand value internationally. And we've heard about it in the past, obviously, with like the China UCLA stores. But I think it might be more than that. Um, and that's something that, uh, you know, UCLA hasn't really explored it at the level that Mick Cronin is right now with Ivo Simovich. Um, but that might be a sustainable long-term thing in a way that I didn't really build into my thinking about UCLA recruiting. It's really interesting. Obviously, we don't have data about UCLA's international brand. I do have my own personal anecdotal, though. Um, Dave, as you know, I've done quite a bit of traveling. Yeah. Uh, in my 20s, I was basically a world traveling bum, um, writing travel articles just uh, to make no money, just to pay for the next guest house in Indonesia. Um, when I traveled, I'd come across people walking by me wearing UCLA shirts all the time. And back then, even in Europe, you'd say, oh, UCLA. They go, what do you mean? UCLA. And you'd point it to one on their shirt and they'd go, UCLA. <laughs> no, it's UCLA. A lot of people thought it was an American clothing brand called UCLA. My cousin's husband in Sweden took me into his, into his uh, closet to show me his UCLA shirt and told me he thought it was an American clothing brand. Um, All I heard I, was your cousin's husband took you into the closet. I knew you were going to go there. God, I knew this is not Dave proof. <laughs> 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 but I've been to various remote spots in Asia, in Central America, where I've seen, and they go, oh, UCLA. I mean, now they know what it is. It's, it's a pretty large brand. Uh, and, and again, anecdotal. I, I have a friend who I travel with in Europe. We're going on our 40th anniversary next year, actually. And he loves wearing UCLA gear. I send him UCLA gear. He's come to LA. He's bought. He sends me pictures from all over. He says he gets stopped. And right now, he's from New Zealand. He's retired. 
So what does he do? He takes the New Zealand winter and he goes to Europe for three months. He gets stopped all the time. Um, I think it's generally a, a, a huge brand internationally. I've, I've kind of always had that idea. I've never understood. I, I, we've talked about it before on the forum endlessly why they haven't exploited that. Especially with Arizona. Uh, we're we're going to get ats here. Arizona, Tucson, recruiting internationally. <laughs> if, you, if you go to Macedonia, do they know where... Do they know the University of Arizona? Do they know Tucson or do they know UCLA and Los Angeles? Yeah, it's it, that's the thing is it's a no-brainer that that's an avenue because uh, the the United States market is um, you know guys are too knowledgeable and people around those guys are too knowledgeable and they have too many affiliations and they have all these different agendas and all that kind of stuff and that's not to say that international stuff is agendaless of course it isn't but. Um, that agenda isn't going to be predisposed to a school like Arizona the way some, you know, AAU handlers might be. Um, and so there's, uh, it's not exactly a level playing field, but my point is UCLA might actually have the advantage on that playing field um, compared to um, how things work with certain recruitments in the United States. So, And when we're talking about playing fields, we're talking about, you have to talk about NIL money. Yeah. Um, it might... And people have brought this up on the forum, and it's a really good point. UCLA being able to recruit international players, uh, you might think international players are are more concerned with NIL, but a lot of them aren't. Uh, first off, they they can't accept the money <laughs> uh, in a lot of ways because their visa will dictate they can't take money from. I've heard, I don't know all the details, but this is what people have told me. They can't accept money from an American company with the visa that they're on for whatever reason. They've, a lot of them have been in pro environments. They're not, a lot of times, not about the money. This might be a thing that can help UCLA level the playing field. Even though I have to say, I think the UCLA basketball collective, Men of Westwood, is doing fine. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say the number, but let's just say they're. I think they're doing fine. That doesn't mean you shouldn't give more. No, continue to give. Uh, yeah. bro, bro has contributed uh, well over twenty grand now. Yeah, but annually. Oh, the I, annual commitments are nearing. We're at eighty thousand. Yeah, it's nearing eighty thousand. Um, and we haven't. I mean, this is off season. Yeah, I think pretty we're going to phenomenal. So we're probably going to do another pretty big. Yeah, yeah, very good work, everyone. We're probably going to do another big push heading into the season um, over the next month or two um and hopefully get that up to at least 100 grand annually from bro users because that would be an awesome thing to say awesome um <coughs> but it's it's not hard to conceive of a roster going forward with with mick cronin where he's got two to three foreign guys on the team and the other thing people are concerned about if you can get them right now they mustn't be very good they must be lower you know mid-major I can I can safely say that the guys they're going for are are high major players. Um, right. Ivo Simovic is a good evaluator. I I respect his evaluation, and just think of it from his standpoint. He's not going to go out there and find some international players that he's going to bring back to the Mo Austin and have them play and chip uh, chip. Oh God! And Mick Cronin turns to him and says. WTF, man. Are you kidding? Because Mick has not seen some of these guys. He hasn't gone overseas, even though he plans to, from what I heard. Mick will travel overseas to scout them. But at this point in this stage of international recruiting, a lot of the guys he hasn't. Coach Simovich is not going to risk bringing in someone who isn't clearly going to impress them as soon as he steps foot on a UCLA court. Right. Right. So it's all it's it's looking pretty good. That class that we thought <clears throat> it was going to be six to eight guys, uh, it might not be that many because they now have taken Zonka and potentially two more guys. It could be four to five. Let's and it's say. just I, I just want to say this because I I hammer it so hard on football. It's just good roster management. 
figuring yeah. out some way to bring in more bodies this year so you don't have to bring in so many bodies next year. Not because of the pressure of bringing in so many bodies, but just because you're kicking that roster problem just down the road a little bit more. But eventually you're going to pay the priper. You know, it's just you can't you can't have a cycle where you're bringing in eight guys. It's just that's bad roster stuff, and it's not Mick's fault. I mean, it's due to stuff that happened before him. But this way you're balancing things. You're making it so you have two manageable medium-sized classes, four or five guys, four or five guys. Um, and that's that's something you can sustain long term. You can't repeatedly bring in eight guys. Um, and, and I, it could be within a month that UCLA is now looking at if all this comes to fruition, the two more international players, let's say Brandon Williams, Andre Syakovich, UCLA would be, let's say, conservatively in October, looking for two more guys. <laughs> Yeah. Between between transfers international and high school, only two more guys. Yeah. And I would at that point, it depends on what you have, what the international guys are, but thinking about it, more than likely it's going to you you probably want a point guard, um, you know, depending on, you know, how the Isaiah Collier thing plays out, but I would probably sit there and say, "Okay, well, is there anybody we like still in high school? And if there isn't, save one of those like earmark it for transfer. We're going to go get the best transfer point guard on the market. If, if we're, if we're at all questioning Dylan Andrews's progress, like if we're all questioning it, that's going to be the main 100% priority. Not, uh, I'm sure Mick Cronin suffers a little bit from our off season optimism too, but he's a really smart guy and he wouldn't just say this offhandedly. This is the, of all the comments he said this summer, about the team, the workouts. He said Dylan Andrews was the quickest player he's ever coached. Yeah, that that stood out to me too because that was not necessarily the His read thing. on him. Yeah, yep. um, so to see that is very, very, very promising. Because that means that his his physical development has continued. You know, yeah, that he is. His athleticism. He's, he's yeah. getting stronger. He's getting quicker. Like uh, his lower body's improved. Like all that stuff that we were wondering about. Um, so that's that would be great news. And if that's I mean, the case, then then you've got something to work with. And then you might be able to go with a combo guard as that transfer. But earmark one of these for a transfer to fill an immediate hole for that 2023 season. Uh, let's just take this. UCLA has this roster. They're going to be pretty good. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. going to have a pretty big season. I, I Just given that I think Jaime Hawkes is going to be a potential national player of the year. They potentially might have the best point guard in the country in Tiger Campbell. Uh, this team's going to be pretty good, so they do well. Tiger Campbell leaves. Dylan Andrews got some backup minutes at point, but wouldn't you think that a good transfer point guard would say, well, okay, wide open, comp I could go in there. Yeah. And I'm a transfer. I played two years, three years somewhere, four years, and I could go to UCLA and just – plug into that system that yeah. has the number one point card in the country. Yeah, and I think that's right. I think um, the the thing that I'm always cognizant of with um, UCLA and just because of the issues that have happened in the past with coaches being certainly unable to recruit in different areas, Ben Howland, um, right. don't piss off if you can avoid it. And if Dylan Andrews is developing well and you're feeling pretty good about him, don't bring in a transfer ahead of him. Uh, bring in a combo transfer, somebody who can meaningfully back up at the point in case Dylan Andrews goes down with an injury. But I'd be more willing to take lumps with a guy who's a four-year player um, and who's, you know, who you can continue to build inroads with rather than taking the mercenary for a year who might play over him and piss him off. Yeah, especially the Compton Magic. But good problem to have. Good, good problems problem to have. have. It's... What, when we're sitting here talking about, well, are you willing to shave off a little bit of the upside from November and December to have a guy who's you know going to sustain the program for a few years, or do you want to take the guy who will you know maybe take you up a level and you'll be a sure Final Four bound? Great problem to have. Wonderful. I, I, I'm just preparing y'all. Maybe within a month, UCLA basketball fans will be sitting here. Wow, look at, potentially if it all happens. Wow, look at this roster. One, two. 
UCLA only really needs to fill two more when we thought, you know, this was going to be a very challenging thing to fill this class. Yeah. And they can sit back and be very, very selective. Just literally wait until they see how this season uh, happens to see what they could do in the transfer portal, internet. I mean, wow. Wow. Uh, This is something... This is something to be really, really, really excited about. Yes. Get pumped. I got to tell you. Get pumped, everyone. And it's got to happen soon because fall quarter starts in like 17 days. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I've got nothing else. You got anything else? No, this was good. We hit a tight hour. I this. This was full. This was optimistic. This was, this was, this was pleasurable to record. I can only imagine, imagine what it's like to listen. Hey, hey, really fast. How was Disneyland? It was amazing. Was it good? Was it crowded? It's always good. I know, but was when you it go hot? with young kids, it's always good. That's true. Yeah, it's just it's never bad. I mean, it was like medium crowded. It was fine. There's nothing better than taking a little kid through. It's a small world. Yeah, it's it's just great. They look at it with wonder, you know, with yep. shining eyes. It's amazing. Yeah, never. I'm better. going in a couple of weeks because you know we have annual uh, magic key is what they're called. Now. You've got the magic key. I do. Yeah. Well, that'll be fun. Thank you. Yeah. Hopefully, it won't be uh, you know surface of the sun hot. We're, we're projected to not be. Yeah, it's good. Okay. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we will talk to you again next time. See y'all.